Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I do believe we are kind of live. I'm grateful for your participation. Today we're going to learn some heavy-duty stuff. Very heavy-duty stuff. Very heavy-duty because... <laughs> because it's... Uh, these are not fun subjects to discuss. And implementing the kind of things that we'll be learning about today requires an enormous amount. Enormous amount of self-control and self-discipline and practice. It's real, serious avodat Hashem. Like the Rebbe once told somebody, Zint ven hast du gehabt mit den Eberschen a contract auf a gringen Leben. This person was, you know, quetching and complaining. And the Rebbe said, Since when do you have a contract with God that life has to be easy? None of us have a contract like that. Most of our lives are pretty easy. But there's issues, because that's just the way life is. And those issues were designed by the Creator. So that we could be all we can be. So we can fulfill our destiny, our mission, our purpose in the fullest sense. And with the greatest measure of success. So who needs enemies? Nobody needs enemies. I don't think anybody looks for enemies. I don't think people like or enjoy locking horns, getting into fights. I have a sneaking suspicion that most people who even make their own enemies do so unintendedly. And they wonder why people don't like them. And, and then, you know, sometimes, sometimes there are people who are out to get you. And it isn't because you said or did something. It's just the way some people are. We cannot control those circumstances. Betachen does not put you in the driver's seat. Having trust in Hashem means that God is in the driver's seat. But Betachen, having full trust in Hashem, being able to live with that sense of certainty and inner tranquility will give you the tools to effectively deal with unwanted circumstances and unsavory situations. Who needs enemies? Nobody. Let me rephrase the question, though. Who doesn't have enemies? There's a silly story they tell of a rabbi who was talking about 
grudges and letting go of them. And he said, is there anybody in this congregation who doesn't have any enemies? It was a packed shawl, and one very old woman slowly rose, and she, she raised her hand. She said, I don't have any enemies. And the rabbi said, that's incredible. You're a poster child for all of us. Please tell us, how is it that you have no enemies? And she said, I outlived them all. So we all have enemies. We all have people who dislike us, and maybe people we dislike. But how we deal with our own dislikes is actually a subject for another day. How do you deal with the people who dislike you? This might be one of the most important classes you will ever listen to. This might turn out to be one of the most life-changing lessons you ever experience. But I have to tell you before we begin, there are no shortcuts. There won't be shortcuts in studying the material, and there won't be shortcuts in implementing it. But I am 100% certain that if we take the lessons we learn here today to heart, and if we can channel those feelings into action, our lives will be enriched by it. We will have a better life because of it. There isn't a shadow of a doubt. I had opportunity today to put the lessons I learned last night in preparing for this class into action. It was not an easy thing to do, but I'm happy to report that it was, it was a very rewarding and effective thing to do. Maybe I'll share some of those details later. Let's get into it. Forgive me for the circuitous or rather long introduction. We continue now, the fourth chapter of Shara B'tochen. This is the 30th segment of that fourth chapter. And believe it or not, this is the 103rd in the, in the series on living with certainty. It's pretty amazing. We're dealing with our enemies, our adversaries, our detractors. Says the great Rabbeinu Bechaya, Avol, Inyonei oivov v'chomdov u'mevakshirato. So up till now we were talking about how dealing with your employer, with your boss. You have to say a boss is like a diaper. He's always full of it and he's always all over you, clinging to you. Nobody likes a boss. Nobody loves their employer. But dealing with your employer or those who you're indebted to or work for is one set of challenges. Dealing with Oivav, your enemies. Chomdav, those jealous of you. And finally, those who seek to actively harm you. Excuse me. This is another kettle of fish. Now, you, you know, and uh, we've been treating the text here charitably. And we're giving one of the greatest sages in the pantheon of Torah teachers, maybe of all time. We're giving him the, the benefit that if he, if he used multiple words in a particular order, he's actually trying to say something. 
Rabbeinu Bechaya highlights three possibilities of unsavory, kind of in a pr- uh, unenjoyable, uh, unwanted relationship. Now, relationship simply means that you have a connection to something. These are people you're not ambivalent towards, or at least are, they aren't ambivalent to you. They, they, they take up space on your hard drive. You have a negative relationship. They're your enemies. They are people who are jealous of you. And finally, people who want to harm you. So, I mean, what if he just would have said, What's the difference between people who are jealous of you and people who are your enemies? And, and last off, you know, at first blush, when I thought about this, I said, something doesn't add up because everybody's going to be jealous of you if you're successful. People love to pity other people. So you can either be loved by everybody and be broken and victimized. Or you can be a victor and you can be successful and that will engender jealousy. That's just human nature. So if you're in any kind of bracket of success, there's somebody jealous of you. It's almost a given. It would seem that there are more people who are jealous than people who are enemies. Yet Rabbeinu Bechaya says, your enemies, those who are jealous, Chomedov, and then finally he says, those who actively seek to cause you harm, active detractors. So, obviously, we need to have a little bit of Torah context here. Rabbeinu Bechaya is a Torah sage. When he uses verbiage, he's using Torah syntax. So we need to understand the definition of the word oivav or oyev, an enemy, from a Torah perspective. And then chomdav, those who are jealous of you, and then it's going to kind of make sense. And interestingly, I noticed that in the super commentary of the Shara B'tochen, the Neder Kodesh, he explains that chomdav al ha'ovrim alotachmod. This is actually a biblical prohibition not to be jealous. So people who violate this commandment of the Torah. The Torah Valavanan is even more explicit. He says, Shehem chomdim lokachat mimenu. They are jealous enough to try and take away what God has given you. And this was the clue. Because when you look into, and I'm just using two sources as an example, the book of mitzvahs, the Ramah's book of mitzvahs. So when you look at the mitzvah, which is, describes the concept of lotachmod, the language 
that the Rambam uses is very explicit. He says, and I'm quoting, Shehuzharnu, that we were forewarned by God, mehasim machshavotenu laasot tachbula, from putting our minds to scheming, to acquire what somebody else is right now in possession of. So what are some of the things the Torah talks about when it says, It says that you shall not be jealous. It's usually translated as to covet. But what does that mean to covet? The Rambam says that violating this mitzvah means that you are actively trying to think of ways, scheming and acting on those schemes to acquire what somebody else has. So the Torah says, don't covet somebody else's wife. So here would be a person who actively tries to destabilize somebody else's marriage and make, for example, a woman's husband look bad in her eyes or put the woman's husband in a very, very bad light and then kind of ride into the situation and show how gregarious and friendly and kind he is. Not that he wants anything. So this person would do everything to destabilize a marriage so that he could actually have that marriage. That's when you're violating the mitzvah of Lotachmur. The, the Rambam says, I'm going to prove this to you. If you look into the words of our sages, in what is called the Mechilta, that's the collection of Medrash Halacha on the second book of the Torah, So, the Sifri says, the Mechilta says like this. So you might think if somebody covets or is jealous in the heart. You know, you, you see something that somebody else has and you wish you had it. Suppose you're an automobile aficionado and you love a certain car. You can't afford it, but you love it. Maybe it's a, a rare car, you know, like a Mustang from the 60s. And then you see that your friend somehow has that, that coveted car. And you look at it and you say, oh, I wish I had that car. Does that make you a sinner? No. It makes you human. Talmud Lomer lo tachmot kesev ezov aleim v'lokacht alocho, says the Mechilta. Ma'lahalon and she'asem ma'isa. When do you violate this? When you actually do something about it. Now that verse is talking about seeing the accoutrements of idolatry. But this Mechilta says there's a juxtaposition that's drawn between the two. Afkan here too, ad she'asem ma'isa. Now that doesn't mean you, you're going to steal something. Suppose you covet something somebody else has and you offer him a lot of money. He has no intention of selling. He doesn't want to sell, but you pressure him. You kind of set up the situation so that you can get it fair and square, but you schemed in order to put yourself in that to the, into that situation. That's a problem. Having a reaction to something is human. Choosing to ruminate upon that reaction and then allowing that reaction to fill and saturate your mind, your heart, to the point that you start to scheme about it, that's when 
you're in dangerous waters. Now, interestingly, the Rambam actually divides these mitzvahs, lo tachmod, and then there's lo titaveh. And, and one is only in the heart. But Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar doesn't use the term titaveh, to lust after somebody else's things. He talks about lo tachmod, act, to actually covet. And he talks about actually coveting because when you actually covet somebody else's real estate, somebody else's marriage, somebody else's workforce, or somebody else's livestock, then the Torah says very clearly that you have violated a very grave sin. In fact, it's one of the ten mitzvahs that God made a statement about his relationship with us at Mount Sinai, known as Aseret HaDibrot. Which means that when we speak about an oyev, we're talking about somebody who has hatred in his heart. In fact, the Rambam in the book of mitzvahs says that a person who hates somebody in his heart violates the prohibition of lo tisna But if you don't keep it in your heart, if you tell somebody, you know, I really can't stand you. I'm really offended by the things you did. You acted in a disgusting way. You're no longer violating that mitzvah. Somebody's done something bad, and you've been upfront about it. <laughs> you know, when you learn mitzvahs like this, which are rules in the Shulchan Aruch, you realize that most people are not nearly as orthodox as they think they are. Of course, orthodox means perfect, and I don't know anybody who's perfect, but we should aspire to perfection. And it's easier to nurse grudges. It's easier to keep hatred in your heart, or so we think, than just dealing with it. Most broken relationships come from the fact that people just never bother communicating. Just get it out. Speak about it. And invariably, oftentimes, a mountain is shrunk to a molehill. And it just like, just gets flattened. When you keep it inside, you ruminate upon it. You think about it. So besides the fact that you have somebody who's living rent-free in your heart and in your mind, you, you, you imagine things to be far worse than they really are. And you turn the molehill into an enormous mountain. A mountain that becomes a big gulf between people. So an oyev, an oyev is a person who you intensely dislike. Dare I use the word hate? How do I know this? Because, because there's Torah language. There's a mitzvah called helping a faltering donkey. Ozif tazav And it's not the subject. I'm not going to read to you from the scripture and talk about the details of the mitzvah. But the basic essence of the mitzvah is that when you see somebody's donkey faltering under a load, you're going to help them. But the Torah doesn't just say when you see somebody's donkey or see somebody at the side of the road and they have a flat tire, you should pull over and help. The Torah says, Kisira chamor soin acha, when you see the donkey of somebody you hate. Rambam says, hate? Who hates? How could you hate on a, a fellow Yid? He's your brother. And the Rambam says, first of all, he defines hate. It's a tough thing to define. It's like, how do you define depression? Clinically. People use the term as 
in the euphemistic sense, but how do you define it as a, as a real condition? So I found out something interesting. The clinical definition of, of depression is a person who has not been able to function. Function means like get out of bed. Just function like a normal person for more than 72 hours. Everybody is dysfunctional or feels unable to deal with things at times. Some people for five minutes, some people for five hours. That's not depression. That's called life. When a person is like that for three days consecutively, that's unnatural. That's a problem. It doesn't mean somebody necessarily needs pharmacology. Psychology might be a very effective way to go. People might even succeed at pulling themselves out of the doldrums. I'm just saying we need a definition. So very interestingly, this is the clinical definition in, in, in today's textbooks. But very interestingly, the Rambam tells us in halachic prose that the definition of our sages for hate is when you didn't speak to somebody, made a point of not speaking, avoided speaking to somebody for more than 72 hours. It's pretty scary. There's a lot of people we technically hate, eh? So when you have somebody who hates you, can't stand you, dislikes you, oftentimes you'll know when people dislike you. How do you deal with that? Does everything come from God? Well, if everything comes from God, how am I supposed to handle the fact that this person is choosing to dislike me? Unfairly, at least from my perspective, I should add. And then I have somebody who's worse than an oyev. He's not just an enemy. He's chomdov. He's actually trying to get what's mine. He wants my business. He wants my friends. He wants my success. He wants, he wants what I have. <laughs> and the, the Tov Halavonon says, this is not just what I have because I think I'm fantastic and I worked hard for it, but rather, shehetiv lo habora. I'm a person of faith. I, I suppose, imagine I was. I hope I was. I like to be one. So if a person of faith says, I know that what I have is a gift from God. I don't deserve what I have. I didn't work hard or hardly enough to say that I actually earned this. I don't have entitlement. I have good fortune. This guy wants what's mine. That's not cool. He, he, he actually wants what's mine. So when we have this kind of situation, by the way, I just want to mention that if you're watching on Facebook and you have questions, you could just go over to YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Kaplan. And I am going to take a look and see if there's any questions now. Um, it's great to see all of you here. Thank you for your kind words. Um, Skippy, doesn't that violate the 10th commandment? You may not force someone to sell something to you. Yep, it actually does, as I said. So even if you do give an absorbent amount of money, yes, that is correct. So this is a person who's trying to get what you have. How do you uh, deal with that? You get angry? Do you strike back? Somehow that doesn't sound tranquil. It doesn't sound like the you know, the, the Shar HaBetochen kind of live with certainty promise. 
Well, how can I live with certainty when I'm dealing with the enemies I didn't want? And then you have somebody who's not even out to get something. Like They want something I have, at least, you know, okay, I got some good things. I'm very fortunate. They want my good fortune. Here's a person who's just mevakesh ra'asi. He has what they call in English, borrowed from high German, schadenfreude. He's delighted to see me miserable, unhappy. All he wants is to see me unhappy. That's all this person wants. He just wants to harm me, stick it to me. So now you know what we're talking about. And the big question becomes, how do we respond? Says the great Chavis Halavavos, Yivtach bi'inyonehem ala boiriyasala. You place your trust in God. Yeah? Place your trust in God. And you're like, are you kidding? <laughs> you mean I'm not supposed to do something about it? You mean I, I shouldn't draw blood first? I mean, after all, this person doesn't like me. I don't like him either, by the way. He wants what's mine. I'll give it to him. He tries to harm me. Oh, I'll carve him a new exhaust pipe, as they say. I'll make him wish he never crossed my path. No, that's not actually the Betachin approach. Because then you have subscribed to the idea that there's something else that has mastery or control of your reality other than God. That means you're not placing your trust in God solely. Because if you trust in God, that means Hashem is in control. Now let's not get confused. When it comes to something like making a living or nursing oneself back to health, one is required to take the natural means. You don't just say, ha, yiftach bahabayri is barich. You mean I'm sick? Ah, I'm just like trusting God. He'll fix everything. You don't believe God can fix everything? Oh no, of course I do. Good, so then just leave it in his hands. If God wants me to have parnasah, well, by golly, he'll give me parnasah. If he wants me to be poor, then I'll be poor. So I'll, I'll, I'll just study Torah. I mean, after all, that's definitely a good thing to do. And if I have nowhere to live, it's God's problem. All wrong. Go back to the previous episodes and find out why. But here it's different. When I'm dealing with an enemy, I can either sink to the level of the enemy and I can start to become a bad person too. Or I can say, I am taking the high road. You see, but what if your road's not high enough? Like, like what if you're gonna what if you're gonna be exposed to danger because this guy's out to get you? So you better go after him before he goes after you. Says Rabbeinu Bakaya, Yiftach bin Yonayam. In those kind of things, you have every right and in fact every obligation to rely on God. Because as we will learn during the course of, of, of this episode, we believe that nobody can harm you if Hashem didn't ordain that harm to come your way. Which doesn't mean to leave your car doors unlocked when you know somebody wants to steal your car. In fact, don't, don't go to that neighborhood if you know people are out to take what's yours. 
It doesn't mean to be negligent. And it doesn't mean to turn your cheek. That's not a Jewish idea. It doesn't mean to expose yourself as a target to somebody who's gunning for you. It means that should not occupy your headspace and your heart space. Your feeling, your inner soul, your anxiety and worry about what if that guy comes to harm me should be non-extant. No anxiety, no worry. I'll do what I have to do because we talked about that multiple times. You always need to do what you have to do if Hashem ordains it to do. If the Torah says that that's the right thing to do, ask a Shiloh. Find out what you're obligated to do. Somebody's trying to break into your uh, system. Well, create a better password. Somebody's trying to hack into my computer. Get yourself protective software. And then, should I be anxious? Should I wait up all night and thinking, what's the next scheme he's going to come up with? You do your part, as we've learned so many times, and then you leave it in Hashem's hands. Because guess what? If you weren't supposed to lose something, you won't lose it. And if you were, you're going to lose it anyway. It's actually that simple. Yeah, but this person embarrassed me. They, they dissed me publicly. Can I, like, strike back? Shame him? Embarrass him? Give him back a taste of his own medicine? Ibn Bechaya says, What does that mean? So the Marpil and Nefesh says, You want to know what it means? You want to know what it means to, so to speak, to suffer the shame? To tolerate the insult? He says, take a look at the Gemara Masechet Yoma. So the Marple and Nefesh says, just look in the Gemara Masechet Yoma. All right, so I did. And this is what I found. The Gemara on Davchav Gimel, Amadalaf, page 23, side 8. It's a long discussion about vengeance and, and, and bearing grudges, which, by the way, both are proscribed by the Torah. So the Gemara says, and I'll read to you from the actual text of the Gemara. But Rava says, Kol ha-mavir al-midotav. What does it mean to be ma'avir al-midotav? Midot are a euphemism for our emotional reaction and relationship. The word mida literally means a measure. So people can use different measures. Measure is not only a size or volume, Measure could be a, an approach. They could be joyous tempo or melancholy music. There are different measures of music. Both are music. There can be a, a different way that colors are used. There's different measures. So it's a euphemism. It could be dimension, style, frame. It's all it's a measure. So a person's reaction to insults, to personal attack and affront. What's, what's, what's the natural reaction? What's the natural measure? You know, like one 
one is going to engender or bring a response. Go to somebody and tell them, you're the dumbest person I ever met. And you're ugly too. By the way, by the way, your reputation stinks. This is like the first time you meet them. What do you think you're going to elicit from them? A dozen roses? A job offer? Like if you come at somebody with an abrasive and affrontive measure, you'll be treated in kind. As a rule, people will respond to you. They treat you the way you treat them. It's possible to change that, just by the way. You change it by resetting the relationship or the interaction. Like uh, our sages said, somebody's angry. So if you respond in anger, what happens? It becomes like a ping pong game. Then there's more anger comes back. And it's like, it's, it becomes like a roaring match of anger. Everybody's bringing out the worst from everybody else. And, and each volley that's served brings back twice as much. But if instead you manage to pull yourself together and respond in a measured, even, even kind, soft, delicate way, what might often will happen is you'll drive the anger back. You know, one of my vices is uh, when I go shopping, you know, grocery shopping, so <laughs> I usually go at night, so it's, it's, I, I don't have time during the day. And when I do, I have to fill them with me, and I keep meeting people, and like, you know, a 45 or a half hour or two hour shopping trip becomes twice as long. So it just kind of works out that if I go out at night, <laughs> and then there's a lot of people, and I meet people, and I talk to people. So if I go out at night, I'm usually going to be able to, like, you know, just breeze through the aisles quickly. The crowd is thin. It's almost over. The store is closing. And, um, you know, the people at the supermarket where I go are not very... I don't think they're that happy when they see me. Like, I try to do a little earlier. Anyway. But this, it doesn't have to be, like, late at night. Even it could be during the day. Like... These cashiers sometimes endure an enormous amount of abuse from irate customers. And then by the time I get there, they're very tired. They've worked a whole day, and I'm like the last customer they're serving. So often you'll get brewesque at best, and sometimes worse kind of service. And I don't remember who somebody told me this years ago. Just try to reset the relationship, the conversation, the interaction. If I see that the man or woman behind the counter is really stressed and upset, I usually say something like, you must have had a really hard day. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm late. I'm going to try to work this through. And just like friendly and soft and respectful. And it's amazing the way it turns things around. Because kindness begets kindness. And aggression begets aggression most often. I'm not saying to be a, a sellout. I'm not saying to be a pushover. Chamberlain, you know, bought peace in our time. That didn't go very well, to say the least. I'm saying that most of the time you're not dealing with a, a bad person. So how should you respond? And even when you are dealing with a bad person, how should you respond when it's a personal affront? And I want to make a big distinction between when there's danger or, or somebody's out to harm or hurt you or your family or your loved ones or your community. And it's just, or when it's just like somebody said something that ashamed you and 
your natural reaction is to go back at them. So the Gemara says, I'm quoting the Talmud, Hamavir al a person who kind of restrains, passes over that natural inclination to respond. What does it mean, Mavir, by the way? Where do we get that language from? So, there's an interesting, interesting uh, commentary that we have a mitzvah in the Torah, a commandment, like an instruction, never to pass over a mitzvah. Seize a mitzvah that comes your way. Ein ma'avirin ala mitzvah. You don't pass over a mitzvah. So, for example, there's, there's you know, the mitzvah of tefillin, the, the, what they call phylacteries, or these, the, the, the leather boxes that we tie to our hands and our head. Most of us who put on tefillin do it in the morning, but you can put on tefillin all day. So, when you reach for the tefillin, you're supposed to touch or hold the hand tefillin first, because otherwise, if you took out the head tefillin and then put them down, you just passed over a mitzvah. And there's actually a dispute amongst the halachas, what you do. Some say put on the head tefillin. We follow the ruling that says, nonetheless, the hand tefillin are placed first, but it's not appropriate. So ma'aver means to let go of. Let go of. So you have the right, if you want to put it that way, or the inclination to respond to aggression with aggression, to respond to an insult with an insult. Or you could just forego, just pass over, not seize the moment. I, I, I was going to respond. You know what? I just squashed it. I didn't. I, I, I had something really biting, juicy, and sharp, a retort. I squashed it. That's called Maivar al so Rava said, the person who does that, So then they kind of forego your inappropriateness. Your lack of attentiveness to mitzvahs and to your responsibility that Hashem gave you. How does that work? Well, it's very simple. When you behave inappropriately, you bring judgment upon yourself. From God, by the way, the true judge. But if you show that you go beyond what we call the natural cycle. You break the natural cycle. Say, yeah, I, I know. I have, you know, by right, if you will, not total right, but by right, or what most people, by expectation, A engenders B. You're aggressive. You got aggression back. So instead I say, I'm not going to do that. You're aggressive? That's sad. <laughs> That's your problem. Just close my eyes. I'm not, not going to respond to this. I'm going to pass over my opportunity. I, I have plenty of what to say to embarrass you right back. But I'm not going to. This doesn't mean that a person shouldn't defend themselves. Somebody says you're a thief, and you'll say, well, yeah, maybe I am a thief. No, I'm not, I'm not a thief. That's an unfair thing to say. But when somebody makes it a personal insult to you, and you personalize it back, that's when you've crossed this line. I have to tell you something very interesting. The Rebbe, the Rebbe was, was a a very forceful person. And the Rebbe did not just say everything is fine. And he took positions that were unpopular because they were, they were righteous, because they were needed and necessary. Very strong positions. The Rebbe spoke very forcefully. But never 
Never did we hear him personalize. It was never an ad hominem attack, although there were many ad hominem attacks directed at him. It was never about an individual. It's never about people. It was always about ideas. It was about behavior. It was about strategy. Things that were being done that were wrong, especially with regard to Israel. But Rebbe had tremendous heartache and frustration at things that were done that placed the people of Eretz Yisrael in harm's way. With the loftiest, the noblest of intentions, perhaps. But that wasn't the point. It didn't matter if there was or wasn't lofty intentions. The Rebbe wasn't trying to judge anybody. He never, ever personalized any of these talks. He spoke forcefully and directly always about the issues. That's what we're talking about here. Yizbel cherposam. You should tolerate your insult when it's personal. Somebody attacks the Jewish people. And you say, well, you know, I'm just going to tolerate this. He's an enemy. I'm just, sure, you know, Jewish people are, we're all those things you say. We're mean, capricious, cheap, cruel, scheming, desirous of controlling the world. All the ridiculous things. You have every obligation to call out that kind of hateful talk. But when somebody offends you personally, and it happens to us all the time, the right thing to do is not to simply have step A beget step B. Just you choose to put a stop to it right there. When you do something inappropriate, heaven, heaven judges. There's a system in place. But if you don't behave in a systematic fashion, that's the way you're treated too. How cool is that? That's like a real motivation because I know I'm very imperfect. But if I can not systematically respond, then I won't be systematically responded to. If I can be generous and I can be benevolent and I can be gracious and I can be merciful and I can be compassionate, I'll be treated that way by Hashem by the system Hashem put in place. Furthermore, al yigmel lahem kifa'olam. Do not, do not respond in kind. Meaning, give them back what they gave you. Don't do that. Okay, I know what you're saying, so oh, I'll, do, I'll do nothing. No. Rabbeinu B'chai says, don't do nothing. And this is where this, this starts to get really hard to swallow. Ach yigmalim chesed. You give them kindness. Kindness. You be kind. I have to tell you on the idea of yispel chapasam, it doesn't mean somebody punches you and say, you know what? Punch me again. Nobody is obligated to endure any kind of physical abuse. And in the Torah, raising a hand to strike somebody violently is a grave sin. Moses, the great lover of Israel, is a very young man. In fact, it's the first recorded event in Moshe Rabbeinu's adult life. Sees a man raise a hand to strike his fellow. Both were not particularly righteous. But he sees him raise a hand and throw a punch, trying to hit him. Doesn't say he landed a punch. It doesn't say he succeeded. He said, why would you raise a hand? He called him Russia. He called him wicked. It's a wicked thing to do. 
So if somebody raises a hand to hit you, well, block that punch. Do not turn your cheek and ask for more. Absolutely not. And verbal abuse, just by the way, can be very similar. You shouldn't invite verbal abuse. It's, it's like almost like a form of violence. But when somebody says something that's it's just embarrassing and not nice. So, Yisbech HaPasim, tolerate it. Tolerate it, says the Paslechen means. He said something not nice. So they did. So they did. As they say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And I, I think there's like a, a very fine line between verbal abuse and being a, a, allowing yourself to be a victim or between being in an equal kind of situation where somebody hurls an insult and you don't need to respond. Because nothing will be gained by it. Because it's not going to invite a further attack. And it's not going to in any way enable the abuser to continue his or her behavior. So, for example, if somebody says something which is mean, vindictive, hurtful, you have two options. You can either say something that's equally mean, vindictive, and hurtful and say, how'd that feel? How was, uh, how was that? How was that trying that on for size? That's not the total way. Or you could say, I don't appreciate being spoken to that way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm not going to stand it. I'm sorry. If that's the way you're going to speak to me, I'm just, I'm out of here. I'm not going to listen. So I had a situation a while back where a person was um, very irate and disrespectful to the point that I said, so let me get this straight. You're giving me a lecture now. Is it something you actually want or are you just called to yell? And I didn't get really a, a cogent response. And I said, well, I don't think this is appropriate, so I'm going to hang up. And that's what I did. And I have no regrets. I could have argued, thrown insults back. What's to be gained? Is that all? Thank you. Bam. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm not okay with the way you're speaking. I don't like what you're saying. I will not continue to listen to this. It's very different than saying, oh yeah? Well, let me tell you. Uh, that's a whole different story. We all want to be the one with the last word. We all want to give it back to them, especially when you don't feel it was unwarranted. But that, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, is wrong. Okay, so until now, you could like swallow this. But now he says, not only should you not exact vengeance, not only should you give them back a taste of their medicine, he says, ach yigmalim chesed, you should be kind to them. You do whatever you can. Do whatever you can, that's good. Whatever you can to help. Really? <laughs> Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar adds a, a very important sentence here. He says, the Yizker, you should remember, 
Shetoi altoi venizkoi biyad haberi isbarach. Remember at all times that your benefit and your harm is ultimately in the hands of Hashem. So this is important to clarify before we even try and understand this. I do not believe for, for, for a second that our sages advocated that we should put ourselves in an abusive situation. Many years ago, I counseled a couple and it was an abusive husband. Mostly verbal abuse, but it actually it sometimes devolved into even worse. And this woman's own mother said to her, look, honey, she said, every woman gets abused because she grew up in a similar situation. You just got to put up with a little abuse. It's okay. You can do it. And I remember her asking what I thought. If that was okay, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not, I can't agree with that. A woman should never be abused by a husband, ever. Abuse is <laughs> not acceptable. And to enable abuse by not reacting to it or ignoring it or even rewarding it, because that's what seems to be the case here, is going to invite more abuse. That's not okay. That's not what Abin Machai is talking about. If you have every obligation to do what it takes to make a living, because even though Hashem gives it to you, you have to do your part, it, you, you have every obligation to ensure that your safety and security are provided for. We learned earlier that one is not allowed to put themselves in danger. One is not allowed to put themselves in harm's way. One is not allowed to put themselves in a situation where they are going to be verbally and emotionally scarred and abused. It's not okay. What do you do when it's a parent? These, these are some really difficult questions. It's challenging questions. Difficult issues in life. But as a rule, a person should not be enabling their own abuse. I don't believe it's what Ibn Amchai is saying. He's talking about maybe three things here. The first thing is, so am I going to keep this inside? Am I going to be filled with anxiety and worry? Well, if I don't strike back, then who knows what they'll do? Or, or, or if, if, I don't, if I don't strike back, people will think less of me, or I'll, I want to feel better. This is more about vengeance. It's not about a dynamic situation. If a person's in a dynamic situation where somebody's actively trying to harm them, you are not supposed to say, come right here. If you wanted to take a shot at me, here's a perfect place to shoot. But it means somebody's taken a shot. Somebody's tried to do something. Or somebody wants to do things like that. You do what you can to protect yourself. Just don't even think about it. When you're being kind, it's not because you're inviting abuse. You're ignoring that whole situation. A lot of times the people who dislike us or hate us or covet the things we have or actively try to harm us will come and put out a smile. Unless you say, I should be kind to that person? Why should I be kind to that person? And the answer is because 
whatever was supposed to happen was going to happen anyway. Whatever isn't going to happen isn't going to happen anyway. And to assume that the the harm, not the person who did the harm, and this is a very important thing to separate. When a person does a bad thing, Hashem is going to judge them. Every single one of us will have to answer for the choices that he or she made. But just because you have the freedom to choose a certain thing doesn't mean you have the freedom to actually affect somebody else. Whatever impact happened, that happens by divine design. The person who chose to make that harmful impact will pay the price and be punished. That's God's, that's God's business. But if I sustained the loss, I was going to sustain that loss either way. So if somebody undermined my business, I say, the reason I didn't make more money on that deal because this, this person opened the mouth. That's not correct. The reason I didn't make more money on the deal was because I wasn't destined to make more money. The fact that that person ruined my business opportunity is something that they will have to answer to Hashem for. And most likely face consequences for. But the fact that I didn't achieve some measure of success is not somebody else's doing. It's because ultimately Hashem deemed that shouldn't happen. So the idea of exacting vengeance and going after somebody is an untoward idea. Now, I have to tell you, See, we have a question here. We have a couple of questions. Let's look at them. Um, Riley Fox, the Sefer Achinuch says that you can respond to verbal abuse, but it is a midas chasidis not to. Okay, so Riley, let's talk about let's talk about what you're talking about. You're actually talking about um, the Sefer Achinuch in Shin Lamed Ches, which is the three hundred and thirty eighth mitzvah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with, with everybody what the Sefer Achinuch said. And, and um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this. I'm actually going to deal with it because Sefer Achinuch says something which also seems to contradict it in Mitzvah 241. So that's number one. So Riley, stay with us. I'm going to deal with this. Mr. Mustache, what if the abuse comes from your wife? Okay, I mean, like, it, it doesn't matter really husband or wife. There are abusive wives also. It's just more often the abuse goes from a, 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 a man to a woman because men are more aggressive and physically stronger, but there's no question that any abuse, abuse in a marriage is not, it's not okay. It should not be accepted. Nobody has the right to abuse somebody else. Whether something is abuse or you imagine it to be abuse, this you have to have an objective third party. You have to go to a therapist and, and maybe seek help with, your, with your, your spiritual leader. But the idea that somebody should be abused Forget, forget how we define abuse, but somebody should be abused because, you know, that's the price you pay. You made a commitment to marriage, it means you made a commitment to be abused, is wrong. Nobody has the right to abuse us, and nobody has the obligation to be abused. Okay, so now we got that straight. Someone's parents or teacher is insulted, should they keep quiet? The answer is, you have an obligation to defend the honor of your parents or your teacher. This is about you. You have the right to swallow insults against you. You do not have the right to swallow insults, for example, against your spouse. If somebody insults your spouse, you have an obligation to defend your spouse. Somebody insults your children and you don't defend your children, then essentially you're telling your kids they don't really matter. That's not, that's not okay. Mesirat nefesh, 
Sacrifice, self-sacrifice, is always has to be self-sacrifice. Don't sacrifice somebody else. That doesn't mean that if somebody insults your kids, you go over and insult their kids. It means you go over and say, you spoke very badly to my child, and I'm not okay with that. You have no right to speak that way. Speak to yourself like that. <laughs> By the way, don't tell them, speak to your own children that way, because as the Rebbe used to point out, they're not our children, they're God's children. and they're, Our children are ours insofar as we have a responsibility towards them before all other children. We have our greatest responsibilities toward them. It does not give us chas v'shalom, heaven forfend the right to abuse or take advantage of our children because, hey, they're ours. They're not ours to be abused, God forbid. They're not ours to be taken advantage of chas v'shalom. They're ours for responsibility towards them. We're responsible towards every child's welfare, especially our own, or first and foremost our own. So let's talk about this now because the first thing I want to say, and I'm... I'm um, Riley, I wanna, the first thing I want to say is that the Sefer HaChinuch and the Rambam, who he quotes, will tell you that when somebody does something bad to you, you're obligated not to take revenge, meaning not to do the same, and furthermore, to be kind. So what Rabbeinu Bachai is saying is actually, it's not so shocking. It's, it's basic Torah mitzvahs. So for, for example, I'm just using, the, this, this is the, the prime example, where the Rambam tells us about the mitzvah of lotikon velotitar. You shouldn't exact revenge. So that means, when the Rambam and the Sefer Chinuch, both quarter sages, they quote the Sefer. You come to somebody and you say, can I borrow your rake? I'm raking up the lawn, you know, it's, it's autumn, i got lots of leaves. I just want to rake, rake the leaves together. The person says, no, I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I don't give out my uh, gardening implements. No. I don't want to loan my rake to you. <laughs> oh, well, that's uh, it's not very nice. So you're like offended. You know, you asked him a favor. And then the next day, the guy has the chutzpah to come over to you and say, oh, by the way, can you loan uh, that uh, hoe? I'm just taking care of, you know, planting my perennials now. It's one of can, can I borrow your, uh, your gardening tools? So your natural inclination is to say, absolutely not. How, how does that feel? I asked you for your rake yesterday. You said no. No, you can't have my hoe. You can't have my spade. So if somebody does that, that's called lotikom. That's called exacting revenge. I'm treating somebody the way that I, I, they treated me. And by the way, you're not allowed to do that. It's a direct violation. It's not a betachan thing. It's a direct violation of a Torah. I'm reading a few from the Sefer HaChinuch now. That's for 281. He says, A Yisrael who does bad or causes somebody else uh, pain. So, people like to get back at them. And the Torah comes along and says, You're not allowed to. Now, why would Hashem say that? Isn't, um, isn't, isn't that fair and square? Isn't turn about fair play? So, the Sefer HaChinuch says something which is not very different than what Rabbeinu B'chayah says here in Chavis Al-Favis. He says, Mishar Shah Mitzvah, the origin of this mitzvah, 
is sheyeda ha'adam v'yitin elibay. A person must know and take to heart. Whatever happens to you, from bad to good, it's all coming to you from God. You weren't supposed to have that rake. You weren't supposed to get this thing. You, weren't, it wasn't, you, you were supposed to be embarrassed. Nothing in the world can happen to you if God doesn't want it to happen. You were supposed to be embarrassed. You were supposed, it was supposed to happen. We're not talking about allowing this. We're not talking about planning for it. We're talking about it happened. It's in the past. Well, why did this happen to me? Sefer Echinus says, I don't know, maybe your own, your own ineptness, inappropriateness, your own negligence in some area brought this negativity to you. His own sins caused it. God has caused this. Don't, by the way, make this calculation with somebody else. Make it with yourself. Do not sit and scheme. How do I get back at this guy? Rip a piece of skin off him the way he did to me. He is not the reason. He is not the source. And the Sefer Achinuch quotes a very famous episode in the book of Shmuel Beis, in the 16th chapter, the 11th verse, where we hear about a fellow whose name is Shimi ben Geira. Shimi actually shows up later in the Megillah. He's an ancestor of Mordechai. At any rate, he did some very bad things. David HaMelech was running from Yerushalayim as his own son Avshalom sought to usurp the throne. And Shimi, in David HaMelech's lowest point in life, was there to hurl insults and to publicly curse the king. And Avner Bener wants to take his head off his shoulders. And David says, leave him. Leave him. This, this is from God. Now, it doesn't mean Shimi gets away with what he did. And in the end, Shimi pays with his life. But David Amalek does not react viscerally. He doesn't say, I'm being shamed and embarrassed because Shimi wants to shame and embarrass me. He says, I'm being shamed and embarrassed because Hashem wants me to be embarrassed now. It doesn't make Shimi's behavior okay. It's a perspective. So this is biblical literally biblical and this is a mitzvah Ha'oyver oleha a person who violates this I'm quoting the Sefer HaChinuch V'kavo belibe lisne chavere that he, he, he affixes in his heart to hate to detest his fellow because he did something bad to him until he gets him back Ovar alavzeh he violates this chavere you don't get lashes. You know, there's no stripes, there's no punishment because it's a lav shame by myself. And the very next mitzvah is shalei linter. Linter means I'm going to keep the grudge, bear the grudge. Which means, oh, now you want the shovel, eh? But yesterday when I asked you for a rake, you said no. But I'm not like you. You're a miserable creep. You're a horrible neighbor. I'm better. I'm the bigger. You need something? Sure. I'll give it to you anyway. You don't deserve it. I hate you for it, but I'm going to be a bigger person to give it to you anyway. That's called keeping a grudge. You didn't do the wrong thing, but your behavior is not appropriate. 
you're nursing a grudge. Let go of it. Let go of it. Oh, that's fine. Just let go of it. Yeah, that person did A, B, and C. Yeah, yeah, they did. I demand an apology. If you're talking about a person who's planning to do it again and, and plans to continue this behavior, that's another story. I'd have to enable that abuse. But you know what they did? Yeah, they did. And do you see that you're right now in the situation of that happening to you again? No, you, you just, you're, you're nursing the grudge of what happened. That's another story. That you're not permitted to do. So, I mean, Ben Abchai's words are not so radical. What does he say? He says, Be kind. That's exactly what the, the mitzvah of 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 Lincoln, mitzvah of Nikoma. It's exactly what it is. It's literally textbook. Why should I be kind to somebody else? Because they're kind to me? Actually, no. It's a mitzvah to have Ahavat Yisrael. What's the mitzvah of Ahavat Yisrael? It's a mitzvah to love your fellow. The mitzvah to love your fellow is to be kind to somebody else because Hashem wants you to love them the way you love yourself. You consider them to be a member of your family. You should look at them the way you look at yourself. And you look at yourself in the most favorable of lights, that's how you should see somebody else. When a relative of yours does something bad, you don't say, ah, look at that horrible thing. You say, you know, he was, he was confused, he was tired, he didn't mean it. He, he, you have to understand. When it's a close relative, somebody you love, but when it's somebody you hate, you say, look at that. Horrible, terrible behavior. And you highlight all of the negativity and all the inappropriateness because you don't love them. So the Torah comes along and says, Love them like you love yourself. You cut yourself slack, cut somebody else slack. You don't see your own evil in the full-blown sort of fashion. Don't see somebody else's evil in that way. You minimize your inappropriateness, minimize somebody else's. So this is the concept of Ahavat Yisrael. So why should I give somebody something that it's mine and like, why should I be nice? Well, I say, well, you know, you should be nice. Well, why? I don't want to be nice. Because the Torah says you're supposed to be nice. That's why. I have to go and unload his donkey? I have to go and give somebody a loan? If I can, yes, I have to. Why? It's a mitzvah of so. The fact that a day before I never saw this person or never knew of him, or the fact that a day before this person refused to do something good for me, both are irrelevant. It is not Ahavat Yisrael, it's not the mitzvah of loving your fellow when you decide to be kind to somebody that you know well, who's been good to you. That's called decency. That's not a mitzvah. That's not something that requires a tremendous amount of effort. But Riley, Riley is talking about something that the Sefer HaMitzvah Chinuch says later on in, in Shin Lamed Ches. And this is part of a mitzvah which is called ona'ah, to verbally abuse, to take advantage of somebody else. So the Sefer HaChinuch does say, and I think this is what Riley's talking about, he says, It doesn't mean that somebody comes and to hurl insults and, and hurtful things at you. They say, yeah, come on, give me more, I love it like a masochist, like a glutton for punishment. said the person is not supposed to be a human. The Torah demands that people should be angels, not human. That's, that's not fair. I mean, like, 
the Torah doesn't make unreasonable expectations. Of, uh, expectations. That a person, Lehiyas, could be ke'even, like a stone. You go insult a stone. Does a stone respond? So a person is supposed to be stoic to the point that they just don't care? You don't respond to anything? Pain doesn't hurt? That's like, that's like something's severely wrong with a person like that. And furthermore, <laughs> the person is saying, you did A, B, C, and D, and you're quiet. And now it looks like, uh, it looks like you're actually saying, yeah, it's kind of true. I'm not responding because I know it's true. Ah, truth hurts, eh? It hurts. I'm just, what am I going to say? But <laughs> it's not, it's not true. And that's what Riley's talking about. He says, The Torah doesn't say, don't respond. The Torah doesn't say that you should appreciate barbs and hurtful words in the same way you appreciate compliments and blessings. Well, what does the Torah say then? Because it sounds like that's what the Torah says. So the Sefer HaChinuch says, the Torah says, We have to work on distancing ourselves. The Torah doesn't say, don't get offended. Yeah, I'm offended. I'm really offended. But I'm not going to respond in that way. They say, you know, like, I'm really offended by the words you're saying. I think you're totally unfair. I think it's totally uncalled for. I don't want to talk to you anymore. That's okay. It's okay to be upset when somebody does something which is inappropriate. And the Sefer Chinuch says that when you respond that way, that's how you'll get saved from all this. Because, you know, it becomes tit for tat. There's a certain symmetry here where the chemistry is such that when one action begets another, the ripple effect, there's a cause and effect, there's a give and take. And if a person doesn't engage, he's not a bak tata, as the Sefer Chinuch says. So, people, people who like to start up with people, when you don't really give them room to do that, they don't engage, don't respond in that fashion. At some point, like, you know, the, the, it drains all the fun. He says, don't, don't invest, don't invest yourself into it. I'll bless this level of shaitan. How should you respond? Roy lechocham, a wise person, Yoshev al-derech, silsul, a person responds in a refined fashion without anger, because anger controls a person. It's an emotion, toxic and very dangerous. Don't get infuriated, because anger is uh, in the lap of fools, as King Solomon says in Ecclesiastics. And this way you'll save yourself from these situations. And the Sefer HaChinuch does say, Yesh lanu lilmi mutter lanu You are allowed to respond. But he says you're allowed to respond like somebody who's digging a hole underneath the ground. To, it's like a burglar making a break-in that you have the right to take his life before he takes yours. 
A person is not obligated to be abused. Riley, it's exactly what I said before. This is not contradicting anything I said. You have every right to defend yourself. Nobody should be a shmata. Nobody should be a, 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 a doormat. You have the right to defend yourself. You have the right to free yourself. You have the right to, to enable yourself not to have to endure and put up with this. He says, Sefer says, there is some people that are so pious and so righteous that, that they, they, you know, whatever happens never comes their way. They never get that, uh, upset at all. and they, they never get angry. They never get offended. Okay, this, he says, is a very pious thing. So not to be offended at all, not to be angry at all, not to be upset by it, that's, that's something that goes into the realm of the extraordinarily pious. But that we should not seek vengeance. Big difference. It's not a dynamic situation. It's a past tense situation. And I want to get back at the person. We should not seek vengeance. We should take that high road because Hashem wants us to do it. And whatever bad was going to happen was going to happen anyway. And I should remember that everything comes from Hashem. That is very much in keeping with what Rabbeinu Bahaya is saying. And... It is something that is expected from every single one of us. It is a mistake for people to think that Rabbeinu Bechaya's words here are aimed at a very, very lofty level of people. That is, that is I, I believe, a terrible mistake to make and there's not the correct pshat in the words of Rabbeinu Bechaya. How am I so sure? <laughs> I'm so sure because the Alter Rebbe in the end of the 12th chapter of Tanya says some very similar things. And he goes even further, invoking the statement that made in the Zohar. And Al Rebbe is talking about a Bainini. He's talking about an in-betweener kind of person. The average kind of person who suffers from cravings and desires and lusts and angers and frustrations. And, and he gets offended. But he doesn't act on it. And that's the key here. The Bidu says, don't act on it. Don't strike back. He didn't say be abused. He didn't say don't be offended. He said, don't act. Swallow it. Tolerate it. Move on. Tolerate the insult doesn't mean, oh, insult me more. It means, whatever. So it was. It's good. I, I needed that insult. Big difference. By the way, the Alter Rebbe's words are he speaks in the end of uh, the 12th chapter of Tanya about a person who has a lust and a craving and a desire to do a sin or whether it's eat something or look somewhere or go somewhere. He says, and you know, doesn't do it. I want to, I don't do it. Then he says, not only between you and the Creator, the same thing also happens in interpersonal relationship. Immediately when it comes from his heart to his mind, he's angry, he's, he's offended, and he wants to get back at somebody, heaven forfend. Or he has a kina, he has a jealousy, a kas, he's infuriated, or kpeda, or he's in some way, he's demanding about something. So, so he says, this is a terrible thing. He doesn't willingly accept this. Obviously, he feels this way, like, like Sefer Achino said, he's a human being, he's, he's not a stone. So he gets upset, but he just, he just he crushes it. He controls himself, he says, it's not worth it. He has a, a system, a strategy to be able to crush the stuff instead of ruminate on it. Most people ruminate on things and they turn the molehills into mountains. 
A person can control himself. Everybody can control himself. Suppose you have somebody who's pointing a weapon at you and he offends you. You have a lot of things to say back, but the person is holding a weapon. So the smart thing to do is can it. You don't want to make this crazy dude angry because he's got a weapon in his hands. We all have the ability to control ourselves. Many years ago, one of my children was having these temper tantrums. And, and I said to the child, do you have these temper tantrums at school? And they said no. And I checked with the teachers and they didn't. I say, uh, why not? I don't know. I said, I know. Because nobody put up with this in your school. And guess what? We're not going to put up with it at home either. And I didn't. And amazing. The, temp- the tantrum stopped. Because people will oftentimes get away with whatever they can, especially children. We know how to control ourselves. When our life is on the line, we know good and well how to sober up really quickly. We don't want to. We don't feel the need. We're not compelled. That's another story. People do things they don't want to do all the time. Why? Because they have to. There's an expression, put a clothespin on your nose and just get the job done. I don't want to. That's another story. It's really about ratzon, it's really about will. But we have the power to do this. But when we know our life depends on it, for children, it's very, very hard. Children don't have discipline. But an older person will take disgusting medicine because, hey, I take the medicine and get healthy, or I'm going to be sick, so I'll, I have to make a choice. So I control myself, and I do what must be done. Now, the says, that's how you have to look at every situation. If I am faced with a choice to make, either go against Hashem or do what Hashem wants. <laughs> do the right thing. And do the right thing is not easy. So this is the business of to put up until the nth degree, so to speak. Not to get angry, because anger is a toxic, terrible thing. It controls you. Don't, don't get vengeance. Don't repay what that person did. Because when you're repaying, it's, you're not defending yourself. You're getting even. Those who are found wanting, who, who have done bad things to you, you go be good to them. And Alta Rebbe says, like it says in the Zohar, doesn't say Hasidim, very pious people. Everybody. We're supposed to learn from the way Yosef treated his brothers. How did Yosef treat his brothers? He treated them with great kindness even though they did terrible things to him. What did he say? He said, you think you, think you sent me down to Egypt? You have your business with God. That's not my business. Hashem arranged that this should happen. The story of Yosef has to be every one of our stories. Not when you're in the midst of the sale, but 25 years later and 30 years later. So, you know, I remember you did something 30 years ago. What difference does it make? Yeah, the person did bad things. And I suffered from it. And you know what? So be it. It was supposed to be that way, and I'm not going to focus on the fact that they were the, core, the source of harm and suffering. doesn't mean not when they're still trying to inflict harm and suffering. That's another story. That's not keeping a grudge. Anyway, I hope I've answered the questions. Um, the truth is we didn't get it as, as far as I, I wanted to get. And what happens... If this enemy, if this person who's coveting, 
is actually successful at harming you, what do you do then? Until now, we're talking about, you know, who wants the enemies? I have the enemies. How do I deal? What's, what's my attitude to the enemies? But what if they're more than just enemies? What if they actually harm me? So with Hashem's help, we will come back to continue this series. And I thank you for joining. I, 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 I'm not rushing through this. My friends, it doesn't pay to rush through this. It doesn't, it's like, who, who, we, who we trying to fulfill the obligation for, so to speak? Is saying Yiddish Af Well, read through the book of Yetzirah. I think we need to discuss this and talk about it and think about it and, and learn it and absorb it with an eye to being able to apply it. Because then, and only then, will we actually succeed at making this book make our life as wonderful as it could and should be. To be continued. Thank you again for joining. Have a beautiful day. I see a question here. Are Jews allowed to learn philosophy? Um, the Mishnah tells us, that we have to look into the Torah because it is divine and it has everything in it. So we don't need to go elsewhere. Everything we need is in the Torah. And if we continue to study the Torah properly, we'll be able to find all that is required. Um, it's a much bigger question. And unless one needs it for a particular purpose, we simply don't have time for hobbies and, and pastimes. We have a, an obligation to use our time not only wisely, but in a holy fashion by studying Hashem's Torah. And of course, everything we've done for the last uh, hour and 20 minutes or so has been the study of Torah. So you're good. Thank you again for joining. YouTube.com forward slash Robert Mendel Kaplan. Please sign up and... Uh, Enable notifications after you subscribe. And I remind you that everything that I've taught over the past couple of years is available on my website, rabbikaplan.tv. Zai gesund. Have a beautiful day. Thanks again for joining.